from the depths of hell. Rock and roll's the devil's work. He wants you to rebel. You become a mindless puppet. The other five will pull the strings. Your heart will lose direction. And chaos it will bring. You better shut your mouth. You better watch your tone. You got it for a week with no telephone. Secret doors you must unlock. Escape your father's clutches in this oppressive neighborhood. On a journey you must go to find the land of Hollywood. In the city of fallen angels, where the ocean meets the sand, you will form a strong alliance and the world's most awesome brand.
one of the things Ronnie is known for is inventing the devil horns, the most enduring symbol of heavy metal culture. I'm of Italian extraction, and uh, my grandmother and my grandfather on both sides, both my mother's and father's side, came to America um, from Italy, and they had superstitions. And I would always see my grandmother when I was a little kid, you know, with her holding my hand and walking down the street. She would see someone and go, what's that? And eventually learned that it was called the Maloik. And the Maloik was, someone was giving us the evil eye, so she's giving it protection against the evil eye. Or, you can give someone the evil eye too. So invent it, no, but perfect it and make it important, yes, because I did it so much, especially within the confines of that great band, Sabbath, which had this incredible name already, and you put that together with uh, what people think it is. But for me, because I'm lucky enough to have kind of, uh, just have done it so much, it's been more equated with me than anyone else. Although Gene Simmons will tell you that he invented it, but then again, Gene invented breathing and shoes and everything, you know started recording. Well, about a month into the recording, we had a call from Warner Brothers who said, what are you doing? We said, we're, we're recording. They went, yeah, we see these bills keep popping up here to us. Uh, well, I said, we're doing it again under the auspices of uh, my solo contract. Went, mm, we're going to have to send someone down and see how this is going. Uh, who's producing it? I, said, I am. Went, hmm, well, actually, I think what you'll have to do is you're going to have to come in and see us and so they made an appointment with a guy named Ted Templeman. And Ted Templeman is, you know, yeah. quite legendary as well. Yeah. And I'd known Ted for a long time. So they made an appointment at 10 o'clock in the morning. We finished in the studio at like 5 in the morning or something. So bleary-eyed, uh, my manager, Wendy Dio, and I went to, uh, to, to see Ted. Well, Ted kind of slid in at about 10.30, and his eyes were down to his feet. And he said... Hello, Ronnie. Hello, Wendy. He said, what's this all about? I said, well, you're the one who made the appointment. Well, he said, oh, it's something about you. You're recording, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, how's it going? I said, great. He said, you're producing it? I said, yeah. He went, well, get out of here and go to it. Very hurtful. Uh, so, But I think, you know, again, they, they reflect some of my feelings uh, at the time. Invisible, I, I just love the idea of, of, of what we were going to do to the song. Um, I, I thought it was a clever title. Uh, it was written about... Uh, three different people uh, a gay man a gay young young man um, uh, uh, an abused girl and me uh, it was a triumvirate for you uh, imagine yourself as the chosen one caught in the middle a rainbow in the dark would you pray to be Invisible? Or stand up and shout, shame on the night, shame on you, shame on all of you. You could ask the gypsy, but don't talk to strangers. The pain goes straight through the heart. That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> covers every song there. That yeah, he does. About. All right. Welcome to episode 21 of the Cultural Futures Exchange, CFX. This episode is called Holy Diver, where we're going to cover Dio's greatest album, I think we would we would argue, and, and one of, you'll hear, what we think of maybe one of the best albums in the heavy metal genre. Um, as an intro, I'm Jeff, and that's Slip. Yep. Hey, I think we should talk about a couple of those clips. 
um, because, you know, obviously people might be wondering about them. I no, normally you kind of leave those as uh, Dio would say a mystery yes. in a later song. <laughs> uh, but I think in this case, it bears uh, talking about. So the first one, you know, obviously was from uh, what Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, from 2006. So I think one thing that's really cool about that is obviously you know, Jack Black loves Dio and that we do too. Uh, I think, uh, yes, you're going to find out. Um, but what was interesting about that one is that was 2006 and you can hear Ronnie guest on there and he still sounds amazing as we'll talk about, uh, even then, you know, it's just four years before his, uh, very tragic and untimely death that we'll also touch on. But the second clip I think is the one people might be wondering what the fuck is that? Right. Yes. Um, so that is from this guy, Bill McClintock, and we will definitely link on our Instagram to his YouTube channel. This guy is a mashup artist. And I, and we, you know, Jeff, I think was the first person to discover them of him of, of the two of us. He, he text chatted me one of his things and we've been fans ever since. And this guy specializes in, in mixing heavy metal with R and B two completely different genres. That's kind of his forte and his kind of niche in this mashup world. But as you can see, that was a mix between Holy Diver by uh, Ronnie James Dio and Rick James's classic song, Mary Jane. And you can see how amazing that is, right? How well it goes together. So um, part of the reason we wanted to commemorate that is it's been banned from YouTube. Um, Most of his stuff doesn't get banned, um, but this one was banned. And, you know, we might talk about who we think that was responsible for that. Um, I don't know if it was... uh, and algorithm, or it's much more likely that maybe the estate of Rick James and or Wendy Dio, who is largely respond, uh, you know, um, Dio's widow and his former manager as well, has largely been responsible for his legacy, which we'll talk about in a little of the history. And she's kind of one of these very controlling, um, but effective managers, kind of like Sharon Osbourne in a way yeah. with Ozzy. You know, it's kind of analogous, and they they come into the story as well. Um, obviously with Black Sabbath, but I just wanted to touch on those two. Um, yeah. Well, Bill McClintock, I, I mean, we couldn't be bigger fans. Uh, I think we think he's like one of the best things ever on the internet and you will link to him. You should go check him out. He has other things that aren't precisely metal and R and D, but the other thing about this mashup is that uh, there is, uh, you know, a, the, he also mashes in like solos of stuff from other bands and things like that. And he is uh, just, you know, just an unbelievable artist, uh, just very, very talented in how he matches all these things up. So anyway, the reminder of the cultural futures exchange conceit is this is a place where we examine different elements of cultural ephemera and music, movies, TV, books, maybe even stage, uh, dive into the context that they came out, what's happened since our take on the future valuation of the item in terms of a uh, fake stock market kind of thing. Should you go long? Should you go short? Will the value go up and down or stay about the same? So that's what we do here. And let's talk about Holy Diver and all of the cool stuff about it. So Slip, why don't you talk about your personal history with this uh, album and artist? Right. So we've covered heavy metal before, right? We did the Scorpions Blackout album. We've done Motley Crue, uh, Too Fast for Love. And of course, this is another one of those albums of that same era. This was uh, early 1983 when this album was released. But as you'll find out through the history, Dio has a long and storied history that basically mirrors the history of rock and roll in almost its entirety. Um, you know, he was a lot older than a lot of the artists we, we were talking about at that time. Um, 
And he uh, figures, you know, into my history very early on, I think the first things I heard were on the radio and Man on the Silver Mountain, the classic Rainbow song, which I don't think I realized was as old as it was, you know, being from 1975, because you can listen to Man on the Silver Mountain. It's pure metal, right? There's no there's no proto about it. I mean, it's a pretty much a heavy metal song. And a lot of that has to do with Dio's vocals and, and the subject matter, which we'll talk about a lot when we talk about the lyrics and Dio, his contribution to heavy metal is fast. Um, I think he's one of the most important, if you had to list the top five, most important people to the formation and creation of heavy metal as a genre, I don't doubt that Dio would be in that list. And I think he started really early on with Rainbow. We'll talk about that a little more. But I remember hearing Man on the Silver Mountain. Obviously, another one, another movie that we may touch on or may not is an animated film that came out in the early 1980s that was based around the magazine Heavy Metal, which was titled Heavy Metal, you know, before Heavy Metal was really a thing. And it's mostly a sci-fi fantasy um, magazine, but there was a film you know, that was made of several of the animated stories. It's like an anthology film in the early 1980s. Midnight showing Um, special. Theaters used to show it. Midnight theater special, right? And as a kid, it was always, since it was rated R, it was always one of these Holy Grail movies that I wanted to see. And I've seen it like probably 10 times at least. Um, I love it. Have you ever seen it when you haven't been baked? Oh, yeah. Because I saw it when I was a kid. But of course, you know, subsequent viewings did involve some enhancement. Okay, Um, just checking. Yeah, exactly. But but, you know, one of the highlights of the soundtrack and and the soundtrack is one of these things like we talked about Fast Times at Ridgemont High in our last episode about how, you know, a lot of the soundtrack is not of the time. Right. Most of these kids would have been listening to like new wave bands or new romantic bands or heavy metal bands. And there's very little of that on the Fast Times soundtrack. Heavy metal suffers from something similar. I mean, there's a there's a huge variety of artists. It's a little better in that way. I mean, there definitely are. Uh, some metal artists, but the, the the real standout track to me on the whole album is Mob Rules by Black Sabbath. This was from the second Black Sabbath album that featured Ronnie James Dio as the lead vocalist and principal lyric and melody writer. And man, it's a kick-ass song. I mean, it it's super heavy. Um, I love Dio era Black Sabbath, as I will talk about more. Um, and I remember those two things, uh, you know, Bert being... Uh, being prominent in my early childhood. And of course, I remember the early 80s, the whole rivalry between Ozzy Osbourne and Dio Black Sabbath, right? there Because Ozzy had been, uh, you know, kicked out of Black Sabbath for his drug use and probably just some of the mercurial, uh, you know, whims of, of Tony Iommi. We're going to talk about him and, and Richie Blackmore and their personalities and why that led them to do some of the things they did in this story. Um, but I certainly remember that rivalry and, you know, I have the speak of the devil. So, so around the time that Ozzy was starting, you know, of course he made Blizzard of Oz and Dire of a Man, man those, one of those are going to be on our list to cover. Um, sure. They're absolute metal classics. And um, he was a lot more popular than Black Sabbath was at the time. I mean, his album sold a lot more copies, uh, but there was still this rivalry, right? Uh, especially because I think as a vocalist, Ozzy is an incredible front man. I love the Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne stuff. I love Ozzy's early solo stuff. But there's no question who has the vocal chops here of the two singers. I mean, Dio just crushes Ozzy. And I oh, think there was sure. some jealousy there. And I think there was a be- also between Sharon and Wendy, there was a little rivalry there. Um, and, and Speak of the Devil, you know, came out. And that was a live album that was done right after the death of, of Randy Rhodes. And it's all Black Sabbath covers, right? With Brad Gillis on guitar. They're very different than... The Black Sabbath versions, a lot more 80s. Um, but what's funny is there's a dwarf 
in in the middle of the gatefold. The cover's amazing, by the way. Um, but the gatefold has Ozzy on this throne, and he's got this dwarf, kind of this Rasputin-like looking dwarf next to him. And they always nicknamed him Ronnie as a slight <laughs> on uh, Ronnie James Dio, because of course Ronnie James Dio is a is is similar to Pat Benatar in that he's a very diminutive figure with an incredible amount of vocal power um, and yeah. you know strength in his voice. So I remember that. Now, when Holy Diver came out, I had a bunch of friends who were into metal. I was kind of getting out of metal, as I mentioned before, in the Motley Crue and Scorpions episodes. At the time, I was kind of transitioning more into be into classic rock and reading Rolling Stone and looking at the critics. And I'd sort of pulled one of my friends in with me, you know, my friend Joe. And I'd mentioned him. I'll probably mention him almost every episode we talk about music because this is a huge friend. You know, we were kind of partners in in learning about music and we were into a lot of the same things and we introduced stuff back and forth. And I had other friends too, at the time who've introduced me to a lot of stuff that I'll probably mention. But at the time there, you know, Joe played guitar. He was probably the best musician, him and my friend, Steve, who played drums, they were really good musicians for their age. I mean, we were like, you know, eighth, ninth grade and these guys could really play. And, you know, we kind of experimented with bands together, me singing. I can't sing a lick, you know, kind of badly, but just because I was, had the guts to go up and do it. Um, kind of, I was kind of a ham, I guess. Um, and these guys also were, had these other friends. Like we had this friend, Tom Shokes, who's a, a singer much better than me. He was really into metal. He was trying to get Joe to be into metal and him and a couple other guys had formed this band and they had formed this band because of this record. Yeah. And they, and a lot of their material that they were starting to work on was covers. Like they did Holy Diver, which again is one of the few things I can play on guitar. It's a really easy riff to kind of play the basic riff, kind of like smoke on the water. It's kind of the one everybody learns. And yeah, you know, I'm terrible at guitar. I don't practice and, but I can play that, you know? And, um, so they were, they were really into Holy Diver and trying to get Joe into this. And what's funny is even though Joe was getting out of metal, I respected it, but I was kind of not as, you know, I was kind of standoffish about it, but I knew some part of me knew kind of like with Iron Maiden and some of these other bands, wait, this is really good. You know, I could tell it was good. You know, these guys can play, the band is solid. The songwriting is really catchy and memorable. And Dio is an incredible vocalist. I knew these things were good, right? Even though I'd liked the Black Sabbath stuff, um, I liked Man on the Silver Mountain. I was kind of transitioning away from that stuff. Um, but Joe, to this day, even though he's not as into metal now as I am, uh, you know, I've contact. I was in contact with him on Facebook. You know, I've gotten off of most of social media except for our Instagram, which is basically reserved for uh, publishing stuff about our show. Um, I got out of that world, but so I haven't really kept in touch with him. But he mentioned that Dio was different, right? He always he never stopped liking him even though he kind of pushed off this other stuff and said, Oh, that's, you know, not for me. And he was much more into kind of indie rock and, and stuff like that. He never stopped liking Dio. I also remember last in line, the last in line video coming out. And of course we mentioned that in our episode on phantasm, because that was directed by our uh, movie director, superhero, Don Coscarelli um, and featured Mino Pellucci, um, you know, and it's a great video. uh, And I remember that now, I kind of, again, I kind of dropped the metal and I only came back to it years later. And I remember when I first started dating my wife, one of the CDs she had was Holy Diver. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's great. And to I was like her dowry for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a huge, a huge pull for me. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember listening to it and going, wow, this album is really great. You know, this, I love this stuff. And, you know, I started liking that stuff again. And, um, 
And I remember getting into it again. And then, of course, uh, as I started getting into more kind of classic metal, like early Judas Priest, early Scorpions, which we mentioned on Blackout, started revisiting Too Fast for Love and this era of early 80s metal. I think Iron Maiden, I never really stopped liking them, but I really got back. And I mean, in college, I Jeff had all the CDs. I taped all of them. I loved it. You know, Iron Maiden, I never they, they were the one that always kind of stuck with me, but I, I even got more back into them at this time. You know, I got a picture disc of a uh, of, um, number of the beast and, you know, I've seen Iron Maiden a few times, but um, one album I picked up at a thrift shop was Rainbow Rising. I never really remember hearing about this one. You know, I remember hearing the first Rainbow album, which is like with the castle and the rainbow. I remember seeing that and knowing about it. And I remember the later Rainbow, you know, which we'll talk about with Joe Lynn Turner, which is almost like Foreigner. You know, it doesn't yeah. even really sound like Deep Purple or Heavy Metal. And I put this Rainbow Rising album on and it has since become, I mean, again, we mentioned Holy Diver maybe being the pinnacle of Dio. It's always changing for me. It's between that Heaven and Hell and uh, from Black Sabbath and Rainbow Rising. I think they're all equally classic. And Rainbow Rising has the added benefit of being kind of proggy. So I love prog rock and it's like the songs are longer and there's synthesizer. There's really cool synthesizer. But you can hear on Rainbow Rising, you can hear Dio fully formed. This is Ronnie James Dio exactly as the same as Holy Diver. Now, Holy Diver is more 80s. It's more metal. But the songwriting, the melodies are all there. And I'll be playing, normally we we kind of stick to the album we're talking about if we're not doing a whole overview of the group, but I'm probably going to play, a, I'm going to play a couple of early clips just so you can hear the transition because the transition of Dio is really interesting to me uh, because he started out very different than he ended up. And you can hear on Rainbow Rising, Dio's superpower, which is to make all the bands he's in sound like him. Yeah, and I sure. think uh, you can really hear that on this. Again, this is a masterpiece, this album. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's the lineup on this album we'll talk more about in the history of why it's so great. Um, now, and then I remember, uh, you know, I, I started getting, I got Holy Diver on vinyl. I got Last in Line on vinyl. Um, and um, I also had a friend at work who gave me, he bought, for some reason, he had got two copies of a CD from Amazon. This was like in the early 2000s of Rainbow's, uh, second album with Dio called Long Live Rock and Roll, which is nearly as good as Rising. Um, and he gave me a copy of that. And I that's also a fantastic album, you know. And um, But I also remember there's these concert videos of Dio. Um, and you can find them on YouTube. And we'll certainly put something on the Instagram for this because they're fucking amazing. I mean, Dio, again, I'll mention in the history, was influenced by Alice Cooper. And he put on an incredible stage show with like, he had like sets of rocks and castles and fire and you know, uh, he had a, a kind of fake dragon come on on stage, like a full-size dragon that was kind of cr- controlled with wires, like total old school effects. And then there's this one thing where uh, he had these spiders that were kind of suspended on strings. And Vivian Campbell is like shooting these spiders with lasers coming out of his guitar as an Frickin effect. lasers. Yeah, it fucking rules. It fucking rules. Like to me, all bands should do shit like this. You know, when I think about a band like, you know, someone like Nirvana playing a stadium show, you know, when they were massive and it's just the three dudes. I'm like, come on, guys, you know, get a big flannel puppet up there or some shit, you know, <laughs> dude, dude, get a get a giant heroin needle dancing around, you know, like, awesome. like put on a fucking show. You know, it's like these yeah. guys just get up there. Oh, we're punk. It's like, dude, when you're playing a fucking stadium, you're no longer punk. I'm sorry. That's over. You're yeah. an arena band. Give the people some fucking showmanship. And that's what Dio did. He delivered the showmanship, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and then, of course, I was lucky enough to see him before he died. I went to this really amazing concert. 
in 2008 uh, at Shoreline, which is an amphitheater up here in Mountain View uh, in Northern California. And the lineup was this. Check this out. Opening band Testament, you know, classic yeah. uh, Metallica-esque kind of thrash speed metal band. Um, the next band was Motorhead. All right. You know, classic band. The next band was Heaven and Hell, which fuck that Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio. We'll talk about the whole Heaven and Hell thing with Sharon Osbourne. Yeah. Um, but it was Heaven and Hell, right? The Black Sabbath classic lineup from the Mob Rules album. Um, and uh, it was Judas Priest. Now, the thing with Judas Priest is it was the original lineup. This is before K.K. Downing left the band. And they had, uh, it wasn't the original lineup because Judas Priest has a spinal tap list of drummers they went through. But this was the best drummer that I think he's still with them, Scott Travis, who this played is on the Painkiller pain drummer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the greatest yeah. fucking drum performances of yeah. all time. Um, and Scott Travis. And so it was an incredible lineup. They were touring for one of their worst albums, this concept album called Nostradamus. Uh, yeah. Not good, not good. No, a double, double not. album, very boring. But I will say, um, even with that said, they played Exciter. They were great. You know, I was there for Priest. I was a bigger fan of Priest than Heaven and Hell at the time. That changed with the show because Heaven and Hell blew fucking Judas Priest off the stage. This is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life to this day. It's top 10 easy. And part of it was that Dio sounded so fucking good. I mean, he was really old, right? I mean, he's yeah. like, what, 65? Um, and he sounded amazing. I mean, obviously, there are some little high notes he hits sometimes. He's mostly a mid-range singer. He doesn't really go as high as like someone like Rob Halford. So, you know, the, the challenge of covering the old songs is less for someone like Dio. But he still had incredible tone, incredible power. I mean, you didn't even notice it. And, of course, the band surprised me because as a kid, I always grew up, you know, it was like Led Zeppelin versus Black Sabbath. Led Zeppelin so much better, blah, 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 blah. Bullshit. Live, there's no contest. Black Sabbath is way better. And the reason is, is because even though Led Zeppelin, the rhythm section, you have John Bonham and John Paul Jones, who always kill her live. Jimmy Page often sounded like fucking garbage. You listen to like a uh, song remains the same. He sounds like shit. You know, he's just such a sloppy player. Yeah, he's a, he's a very the, sloppy player for sure. He's yeah. much more of a writer, right? Yeah. I mean, his, his chords and stuff are really innovative. You know, he's probably a better guitarist than Tony Iommi. But as far as like performance, Tony Iommi was on point that, him and Geezer and, um, you know, Vinny Apice were fucking so tight. They sounded so good and the tone was great. You know, and, and it, it was unfortunate that, you know, Testament really and Motorhead, they really don't belong in an amphitheater like that. They didn't sound very good. I mean, Testament's a good band. You know, they're not one of my favorite bands or anything. Motorhead is fucking amazing. You know, a total classic band. They just sounded like shit. The only good part of Motorhead was the in-between song Banter by Lemmy, which yeah. was fucking absolutely killer. Right? Yeah, he's great. So um, I would say that made me even more of a Dio fan after seeing that. And just his, he was so classy, you know, he, he, and he talks in between songs. He's just very classy. He's like a gentleman. You know, he's just very, he, and he's always been great with fans. You know, I've never met him or anything. I didn't have a chance to meet him at the show or anything, but you know, that's, um, you know, that was a huge landmark show for me and really made me even more of a Dio fan. I've seen pre-sense with the newer lineup without, uh, unfortunately without, I think Glenn Tipton came on for one song. They were, they were better the next time I saw him. They played a lot more older stuff and they were really good. And Rob Halpert, I think, did some work on his voice. He had some rough, a rough patch there in 2008. Obviously, he doesn't try to go as high now with some of the songs, but he's still really good. And they were great. And I love Judas Priest. It's no slag against them. It's just that day they were bested by heaven and hell for sure. So finally, this one little funny thing. So every year I go with a group of friends to uh, 
to the Ren Fair. And um, we went to, you know, we go and it's in Gilroy and we usually walk to Gilroy and walk around. I don't drink, but all my friends drink uh, the, beer. And Ren, really explain it. You mean the Renaissance, the Renaissance Fair, right? Yes, so perfect yeah. for Dio, right? Yeah. There's little guys who look like Dio wandering all over that place, right? And, you know, dressed in their kind of uh, finery or whatnot. You know, we'll talk about Dio's lyrics a lot about how they conjure that period. Um, you know, and I'm kind of a fantasy nerd and it's always fun to get dressed up and, you know, I used to get hammered and it was great, but now my friends get hammered and I just watch them get hammered, but, um, it's still fun to go. So we went to this craft beer bar and I noticed, oh, a live version of heaven and hell. You know, I played, it's one of these CD jukeboxes they are now probably MP3 jukeboxes. And I, I found this live version of heaven and hell and this jukebox sounded like shit. It was kind of like tinny or whatever. And the funny versions about the funny thing about all the live versions of heaven and hell, the shortest one is like 12 minutes from live evil. And they're all like 15, 20 minutes. And they're like these crowd participation things where their people are kind of chanting and there's wandering guitar solos and shit. And so I put this thing on and it lasted so long that we ended up fucking leaving it on. And before I left, I put it on again just to, to fuck with the people there uh, because it was so shitty. You know, I will say that was not the, the greatest moment, that live version. But that's like kind of my last update, really. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, by the way, on Jimmy Page, I think he varies a lot. I agree. He's very sloppy in something. Yeah, How the West Rose one has some great shit on it. Yeah. Like, they, they would either be amazing or terrible. Yeah. Like, like they would, they would really fluctuate, but I think with Sabbath, they're much more consistent. Like, yeah, their songs are simpler good. too, to be fair, but nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Especially, um, I mean, but you have John Bonham was never bad, even though he ended up dying from his alcohol abuse. It seemed like when he was on stage, he was always on point. Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh, this album, I don't know if I heard it right when it came out, but it was pretty soon after I had friends who were really into all the metal stuff. And somebody had it. I don't think I was the first in my little group that had it, but I remember somebody had the album and we were looking at the album cover and thought it was funny, um, you know, with the priest and the demon and, you know, all those kind of stuff. Um, I, uh, you know, the, all the Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy stuff all over, you know, Dio and, and this album and stuff like that. I was never really, uh, you know, into that. It kind of made me snicker a little bit, you know, uh, sorry, Mike, I know you're, 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 laughing you're getting angry at that statement but it was it was a little little, it was a little too much for me but you know it was over the top and and i always was just kind of like whatever but maybe hypocritically i loved iron maiden i mean iron maiden was my favorite band at that time it may still be my favorite band i have to say in a lot of ways and so they did that sort of thing too. And I didn't think of it the same way. So I'm not sure why. Maybe that's. They unfair. cover more ground too. They sing about yeah. war. You know, they do a lot of literature and history and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, um, you know, it's yeah. true. Anyway, I mean, we'd goof on the lyrics and stuff, which we'll get much more into uh, later. I think they're pretty awful in a lot of ways um, and, and pretty hilarious in other ways. Um, I've never seen Dio live, unfortunately, and I regret that. I, I, I think that um, I've seen many videos of him performing live, obviously, and he seems great. And I just never got the chance. Then um, that's too bad. Shame on me and shame on the night. Um, you know, I also think that, uh, you know, the funny thing about Dio is I was wondering, like, who rocks that hairstyle better, him or Klaus Meining? Oh, I, I'm yeah, not the sure. metal guy. Yeah, like, I don't know. I I'm thinking Dio does. I, I like yeah. Dio, so but I couldn't f- figure that out. But the other thing about Dio that I always liked, he seemed like a good dude, as you were saying, and he just is that archetype metal figure. You know what I mean? That 
everyone could point to the dude wearing the cape and, you know, making the little devil horns that, you know, he's talking about. And I always just thought it was funny. He just amused me. And he seemed like, you know, not only his music was really good, but he was just a, 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 a joyful presence to me in the, in the pantheon of all this stuff. And I, I always enjoyed his, uh, you know, presence or hearing him talk about stuff or, you know, hearing him, uh, you know, perform certainly. So why don't we talk about the, the zeitgeist of this album and what led up to it? You talked a little bit about that, but why don't we get into it more? Yeah. So the zeitgeist with Dio is interesting because I, like I said, he was in the music business for decades. Um, I mean, like from 1958 when he was like 15 or whatever uh, until his death, you yeah. know, he started out really early. So the zeitgeist that for him, I mean, it runs the gamut from, you know, uh, late fifties kind of R and B influenced rock and roll to the Beatles, to the Brill building songwriters, to the who, um, you know, in the sixties and then in the seventies, he started out sounding a lot different from what he would sound like with uh, bands like Rainbow Black Sabbath and then his solo career. He started out kind of more like a boogie band, you know, kind of more of a, a, a stonesy rock band, very influenced maybe by Rod Stewart, early Rod Stewart and the Faces, uh, hum, a little bit of Humble Pie and this kind of piano Was he ever rock. a member of Spinal Tap? Because it sounds like the yeah, same. Yeah, it sound, it's very similar <laughs> to the when we talked about the Scorpions, but maybe even more than that. Um, you know, it's like Spinal Tap, the trajectory that Spinal Tap would go through in the film, the fictional film, Ronnie James Dio went through in real life. Yeah. And it's like really it. interesting to me. Uh, but that was kind of his early influence. But I would say the main influences on this album really start with Rainbow and his exposure to, you know, and his influence uh, from, uh, you know, um, Richie Blackmore. Right. And so, you know, obviously he was part of that early heavy, heavy metal world. And bands like Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, obviously, uh, and early Judas Priest and early Scorpions, which we talked about in our Scorpions episode as well. Uh, but I would say that was when he really starts becoming the Dio we know and I think you and I love. Um, as far as the 80s stuff that influenced Holy Diver directly, I would say it was more of that, right? Judas Priest, uh, early Iron Maiden, and maybe even early Motley Crue. I don't think early Motley Crue influenced, but it was part of that same zeitgeist. So we're talking about like, you know, maybe occult-influenced metal, maybe fantasy-influenced metal, heavier metal, power metal, right? Not the stuff, not as much the Scorpions, which was more kind of in the Van Halen realm of party metal, maybe some of the heaviness of the Scorpions, but not the subject matter, right? right? Dio doesn't really sing about girls and stuff like that that much. He's not singing about partying that much. He's singing about fantasy and wizards and well, magic he, he and He sings dragons. about how women will let you down and destroy you and you should avoid them. Oh, yeah. Well, there's witches. Hey, there's witches and, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, he does... <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's interesting. There's also obviously Ozzy Osbourne, early Ozzy Osbourne solo is obviously in this mix too. And what's interesting about these bands too, is some of the subject matter is like, you can, you can, it's like kind of inspirational, right? Yeah. It's like stand up and shout is all about ass it's asserting your individuality and kind of these messages to these young teen boys who make up 99% of the fan base of this, of this kind of music. Who at least at the gay, time they apparently did. too. Oh yeah. I, I was actually going to talk about Invisible and how weird I thought the lyrics were, but that opening quote totally explained everything. I, so I'll mention it, but that totally explained everything. I All the questions I had, I was like, what the hell is that? Um, so yeah, that's kind of cool. You know, that's kind of interesting. Um, 
for the zeitgeist, I don't know if you want to say anything else before we get into history, because that's all I really have. I can't really think of anything else. No, I, I mean, it's just foundational to the whole era. There's a lot of copycat bands. There's a lot of the, um, you know, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more later, but when people think about sort of the archetypes of heavy metal and the, you know, the tropes even of heavy metal, a lot of those were driven by Dio, you know? So it, 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 he really is of this time and one of the innovators and, and one of the, um, key figures here so yes definitely talk about all right the band so, and history all right we're going to talk about the history uh but i'm going to start at the beginning because i think this is one of the most interesting parts of this career is the whole trajectory um i i always go deep into detail but i i just have to here because it's just so interesting and we're going to do something a little different with this one we're going to play a few clips of some early stuff as we go along because i want you to hear how different he was uh from what he became and this whole evolution into what we now think of as Ronnie James Dio and the band Dio. Uh, so he was born in uh, July. He's born on July 10th, 1942. Uh, Ronald James Padavona. That's his real name. He was born in upstate New York in this area called the Southern Tier region in a town called Cortland. Um, his first uh, brush with music wasn't vocals. He wouldn't be a singer for a long time. He started playing trumpet, but he was really good. Like as a kid, he was like kind of almost a prodigy. Um, he just naturally took to the instrument. And he would later say that his trumpet playing was what led him to learn how to sing properly from the diaphragm rather than from the throat. And that's part of why he had such power. He had to uh, muster up that wind to blow into the trumpet. Um, we also played a clip at the beginning where he talks about the origin of the devil horn. So this is one of his innovations. Jeff just talked about how Dio was one of the innovators. Well, one of the most important innovators was the heavy metal, uh, you know, sign sign of friendliness or evil or whatever, called the, often called the Mano Cornuto. He also mentioned the Maloic uh, devil horns, right? So that various people have claimed to have invented that. Obviously, Gene Simmons, as, as Ronnie so eloquently and accurately put it, uh, claims to invent it because he claims to invent everything uh, and wants to take credit for everything. So, yeah, I, 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 on the side of deal with that, he obviously, he, you know, a lot of my research in this came from Rainbow in the Dark, his quote unquote autobiography, which was actually published posthumously. And I have some, su- I'm suspecting that Wendy Dio did some editing there. And yeah. we'll talk about why. Uh, but according to that, he, you know, he doesn't really mention in his childhood that much. He mentions it later when he starts writing lyrics for Rainbow. He was really into sci-fi and fantasy. And that's where a lot of his lyrical content came from. But early on, that wouldn't come until Rainbow. So all these other early bands really didn't didn't flirt with that subject matter at all. Uh, He met this guy, Nicky Pantas, when he was, I think, in high school, a guitarist. And that was the first member of the band they would form which would be called the Vegas Kings. He also <laughs> changed his name. Yeah, I know. What the fuck is that? Uh, um, the Vegas Kings. Uh, nothing to do with Las Vegas. Uh, the Kings part will come up later because I think Dio mentions the word king about 50,000 times between the time of Rainbow and the Dio solo album. Almost as much um, as magic, but we'll get into that. Oh uh, Yeah, magic is another one. Uh, you know, wizards and stuff pop up a lot too, which is... Uh, at any rate, uh, he named himself Ronnie James Dio at that time, figuring that Padavona wasn't a great rock and roll name. Um, he says the origin was to sound mafi, mafi, like a mafioso, and there was a mafioso around that time named Johnny Dio. It was actually, you can find him on Wikipedia. We'll probably 
maybe that'll be one of our clues for this episode. Um, yeah, that's a, good a really one. hard clue, right? Yeah. Um, so he also played in the school. The school had this official band. It was like an instrumental band, dance band. And, uh, you know, he made a note that he was first trumpet in the orchestra. And he also got the gig to play this at a very young age. When when the trumpeter, who was kind of his, one of his idols, had left uh, to go to college, he had he had taken right when he was a freshman because he was just that good. So it was it was interesting that he was musically talented from the get go. Uh, the Vegas Kings were, you know, so he played trumpet in the Vegas Kings. They were kind of a rock and roll instrumental outfit. And they had a uh, their first singer, uh, Billy DeWolf, and they actually made a single. And I tried to find this, but I think it's so rare you can't even find it called Lover. <laughs> And Billy DeWolf started trying to change the band's musical direction, so they eventually kicked him out. They originally changed the name to Ronnie and the Rumblers, but when they tried to play a like a dance, uh, one of the school guy uh, school officials said Rumblers sounded too much like a gang, so they changed it to Ronnie and the Red Caps in homage to Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps. So he um, couldn't and- he couldn't wear a leather jacket like Fonzie, like we talked about in the. Uh- Happy Days episode. I'm sure you can find a picture of them in a leather jacket. Most of these bands in the early days wore uniforms, right? They were kind of like very Beatlesque and they were very preppy, right? Yeah. So I'm guessing that, you know, we'll probably include a photo as either a clue or a post-release kind of link um, to Ronnie and the Red Caps. Um, They changed their name to Ronnie at the Prophets. Um, and at this point, Ronnie um, switched to bass and vocals. So originally, Nicky Pantis took over when they kicked Billy DeWolf out of the band, but he couldn't really sing live. And then they just said, well, Ronnie, you have to sing. And Ronnie didn't have any interest in singing. Of course, he came to the mic. They're like, holy shit. You know, <laughs> you know? Uh, I think we just got our singer. It's kind of like when Phil, they, uh, Phil, you know, with Genesis, uh, Peter Gabriel left and they auditioned all these singers. And then Phil Collins is like, ah, maybe I'll try. And of course, he was amazing. Right. right. It's kind of a similar thing. Uh, so let's play an early track from this band so you can hear Dio in the early days. Okay, here we go. This is called An Angel Is Missing. So 50s. Yeah, it's completely different, right? I mean, you could yeah. kind of hear it's him, but I bet if you played that for someone and didn't tell him and you say, okay, guess which guy this is, unless you I, told him it was a heavy metal known. singer, I don't think he would guess no, it, right? But you can hear he's talented, but totally different, right? So this is the kind of music they were playing back then. Um, and they also, at this time, you know, in his book, I think there's some, maybe some tall tales in the book. They formed a gang called the Angels and they would steal these cars that were, at a car dealer that the, some people had left the keys, they were cars to be serviced and they'd stole the cars. And then two of the guys, I guess, took one one night and robbed a liquor store and they got arrested. So that ended that for Ronnie. I'm not sure how true that is, but they also would play frat parties a lot. So it was kind of like uh, that band and Ronnie likened it to the, that band in Animal House, right? Uh, oh, that would play those. In the nights. Yeah, to stay in the nights. Yeah. Um, but they were like the white version and they would play all around New York State and the East Coast. Um, and, uh, 
around this time, Dio got married. And this is funny because in his book, Rainbow in the Dark, this is why I think Wendy Dio might have edited it. Wendy Dio was, he married her later in the late 70s, which we'll talk about. She mentioned there's no mention of this wife <laughs> at all in this book. So it's kind of suspect to me. So um, at any rate, uh, and they they released, so they released Angel is Missing. They released a ton of other songs, covers, uh, a song called the Oop Oop Badoo song, which I've never heard. Uh, Love Potion Number 9, which we all know and will used to love me tomorrow, um, were released around this time between 62 and 65, and none of them did anything. Wait, so the I'm band sorry, was wait, basically. Wait. I got to ask, what's an Oop Oop Badoo? Oop Oop Badoo. <laughs> what the yeah. hell is that? I don't know. Maybe we'll have to put it in, in the Instagram because I didn't do much research on what the hell that was, but he said it was a cover. Um, but but basically, yeah, they released these cover songs and they didn't do anything really. Yeah. Right. And, and so they were just basically driving around playing gigs all the time, you know, just making mostly playing covers, making ends meet. And I don't know, I don't remember who was in charge of driving, but they were a shitty driver because there were more than one car accident. The first car accident, they were driving around the South touring like South Carolina and they hit a horse um, and were all injured really badly um, around this time. You know, so, so, so obviously just like every other young musician or every other person in America, they had seen the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And of course this kind of changed their idea of what they should be doing. So they changed their name to be more sixties kind of uh, rock band, the electric elves um, <laughs> around this time. And they'd gotten this manager, Bruce Payne, who, We'll figure later into the story, he's actually was actually a real up and comer in the management world, and he would become much more successful later. Um, and you know, he tried to do some stuff with them um, around this time, and uh, they released a single called "Hey, Look Me Over." And I want to play this because it's a complete ripoff of a Who song called "Substitute." Check this out again; it sounded totally different than what you do later. Yeah. Bam, 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 bam. I'm a substitute. substitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. And it's like, it's kind of like reminds me of Billy Joel, right? Because Billy Joel was trying all these musical styles too before he kind of found his singer songwriter. And although Billy Joel would go on to copy people for his whole career, um, Ronnie would eventually find himself, right? But this is just to show how long it took for him to find himself. He was doing music that's not even remotely related to what he would do later. So very soon after they changed their name, they got a they got into a second car crash. This one was much worse. Everyone in the band was injured and hospitalized, and Nikki Payne was killed wow. um, in this car crash. So this changed kind of um, they they got some new members and started to change their sound a little bit to kind of go with the times, and they changed their sound, their name to the Elves. You know, shortened it to the Elves. And they at around this time they would just play covers and they would play whole albums. They would just do Tommy from start to finish or mm. Abbey Road from start to finish. So they were still like this, you know, just itinerant cover band at this time. And then very shortly after that, they shortened the name to Elf. And this was when they finally, you know, not just released 45s, but actually make a proper album. Now, this band is again very different from what would come later. This band was much more, they had a uh a pianist who really wrote a lot of the material named Mickey Lee Sewell and Mickey Lee Sewell was very influenced by like Jerry Lee Lewis. So you, you know, there was no classical music here, no heavy rock here. This was straight faces, Rolling Stones, kind of boogie piano based rock. Um, I call it Dio Stewart. 
Um, <laughs> and Ronnie even sound, but you can hear his voice start to come into the Dio sound. So let's play uh, Sit Down Honey uh, back to <laughs> <laughs> yeah see what i mean yeah, but you can totally. yeah, but it's but but i could play that for somebody and they know it's ronnie james Dio. yeah that sounds like i mean Dio. right yeah. so i i love this uh youtube channel called sea of tranquility and they talk about music and they were talking about elf how they couldn't get into elf and they all love dio you know they all love rainbow they all love sabbath and one of the guys was saying if you could just take those vocals and change the music behind them it would be awesome yeah because dio already sounds like dio but the music is just kind of this boogie music. I really do not like Elf. I've really tried to get into it. Um, but at any rate, they started to get some notice, you know, and, and Bruce Payne was just a great manager. He got them opening gigs for Elton John at colleges. So instead of just playing frat houses, they were playing like college auditoriums and gigs like that. Right. Yeah. And he even got them an audition with two different key people that would, of course, change Dio's life. One, of course, was Clive Davis, uh, the, um, at the time, one of the main uh, kind of most important executives at Columbia Records and a, an absolute legend in the music business. And the other one was Roger Glover, the bassist for Deep Purple. Deep Purple was forming a side label that would be released in Europe called Purple Records, and they were looking for artists. And so they ended up getting record deals with both of these guys. So Columbia would distribute Elf Records in the U.S. and uh, Purple would distribute them overseas. They created a debut album called self-titled elf which from which that sit down honey song is um from and it was produced jointly produced by drummer of deep purple ian pace and of course roger glover and the coolest thing about elf is the album cover because it's actually dio dressed as an elf <laughs> um you know they've made him up and stuff and it's a really great cover i love that album cover i think it's a total classic unfortunately what's inside is just not my thing. I mean, I love humble pie and I love the faces. And maybe for some oh, reason, poopa do it sounds like yeah, yeah, oh, poopa do. <laughs> uh, I think I, you know, I love those bands, but for some reason, Elf just hearing Dio singing these songs, I just don't want to listen to it, and I just don't think the songs are very good or memorable. Um, they got, you know, they started opening for bands. They opened for Fleetwood Mac at the time, and they opened for uh, Deep Purple, and as well as Alice Cooper. And Alice Cooper was a huge influence on Dio later because of the theatricality, you know, all the, all the sets and you know, the whole guillotine and the head coming off the theatrical nature of his shows was an influence on pretty much everybody who played heavy metal and as well as kiss, right. Alice Cooper is a true groundbreaker in that area. And around this time, Ronnie decided he just wanted to be a front man. So he stopped playing bass. Um, and they recorded two more albums, both produced by Glover, uh, Carolina country ball and trying to burn the sun. And they did absolutely nothing, right? Uh, they did absolutely nothing. They didn't sell well at all. Um, so around this time as well, you know, obviously people were starting to notice how good of a vocalist Ronnie James Dio was and how good of a front man. And so Roger Glover pulled him into this other project he was doing, which was kind of a concept album that was like an all-star project called The Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast, which is based on like a <laughs> children's story. Yeah. It Talk about your based 70s. on some, some bong uh, burning. Oh, uh, yeah. There was some weed, right? So obviously from Deep Purple, you had various artists from Deep Purple. You had Glenn, vocalist Glenn Hughes, uh, vocalist and bassist Glenn Hughes, and David Coverdale, who were both in Purple at this time. You had John Lawton, who would later... Very, he was a loose first friend. He would very later, uh, you know, in a year or two, join uh, Uriah Heep. 
Um, and you know, this thing, it's pretty cheesy. Um, not, not the greatest album in the world. And Dio sings, uh, on two songs, love is all in homeward, you know, vocally he knocks it out of the park. I just don't think the songwriting is that great on this. So around this time, uh, as, uh, Elf was wrapping up recording for trying to, uh, trying to burn the sun, you know, uh, the very enigmatic and aloof Richie Blackmore, who didn't really interact with Dio in any way, kind of came up to him and he was interested in recording this song. Uh, called Black Sheep of the Family, Family, which was a cover by an obscure British band called Quatermass. Um, and it was kind of a heavy rock song, and it was different than what Deep Purple was. So Blackmore was getting dissatisfied with Deep Purple because he was always the leader of the band. But with Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale, they were kind of doing this funk rock. Their latest album, Stormbreaker, was more, you know, they did Burn, which was a great comeback for them with David Coverdale. It's a classic Deep Purple album. Then they did Stormbreaker, and Glenn Hughes was much, Glenn Hughes is kind of into funk and stuff, and so the the sound kind of changed. He kind of saw the band getting away from kind of the heavy metal he wanted to create. And he had this idea of creating a more classical influenced kind of music, which is very important for heavy metal, right? So he wanted to do this cover, Black Sheep of the Family. So he pulled Ronnie aside and said, well, I might make a solo album, but I want to try this out with you guys. So he pulled Ronnie and Mickey Lee Sewell and a couple of the guys from Elf. They went to a studio and they recorded this out, the song, and it was like, they really liked what was happening. And so, again, uh, Richie, at first, under the pretense of doing a solo album, started writing, co-writing with Dio. And this is where Dio kind of becomes Dio. Yeah. You know, they wrote Man on the Silver Mountain. They wrote a song called 16th Century Green, Green Sleeves. There were a couple of their cover songs. And then he ended up just saying, I'm going to quit Deep Purple and form a band with you guys. So he pulled all the members of Elf, except for the guitarist who got kicked out, obviously, because, you know, it's Richie Blackmore. He's not going to take over the guitar from Richie. Um and and they they worked on the Rainbow album. He broke up with Deep Purple. They worked on the Rainbow album. And obviously, this album is a mixed bag, and it's mainly because of Elf, the members of Elf. I really don't think it was a good fit um, as far as a band, but Dio and Blackmore sound amazing on it. And obviously, Man on the Silver Mountain has really stood the test of time as like a, you know, rock radio classic. Um, after that, he ended up firing all the members of Elf except for Dio. Um, Dio kind of understood why when they went on tour with the new band they were with, because he got this incredible lineup. So well, he got I, I, a question for you. Whose rainbow was it? Cause I was never clear about that. <laughs> you know, it, it was funny because Dio did come, did mention that, right? That's a good point you bring up. So originally Richie Blackmore was like, well, this is going to be a band. We're going to be equal partners and all this. And of course, the first album is called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Oh, they would Richie drop Blackmore's Rainbow. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Just, I, I wasn't exactly. sure who it was. All right, yeah. all right. So the, for the second, for, for that tour, though, they ended up getting Cozy Powell on drums, who's like one of the greatest drummers of all time, kind of a big, heavy John Bonham-like hitter. Uh, they got Tony Carey on keyboards, who's amazing. They got Jimmy Bain, who will play a role in further in our story, on bass. And, um, you know, this was... Uh, this was a, a the classic Rainbow lineup, and they recorded this album called Rising, which again uh, I have said is a is an absolute masterpiece and probably the first power metal album ever created. And and I'll play be playing a clip for that during my evaluation because you need to hear how fully formed Dio is. Dio is writing all the lyrics at this point. All of his fantasy subject matter is there. You know, uh, there's wizards. There's there's a song called Tarot Woman. You know, there's, 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 I mean, there's wizards, there's wolves, there's all of the, there's me there. there yeah. 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 Oh sure. yeah. 
and and you know it's kind of almost a prog metal album too it might be the first prog metal other than rush i think rush is kind of considered the first prog metal even though rush kind of transcends that and so does rainbow really that's kind of just but i think the influence of these albums on that genre that would really kind of come out come about more in the 80s with bands like fate's warning and stuff like that uh and queensryche you know that that is more um you know, obviously Iron Maiden was kind of dipped their toes into that too. And even Metallica with Injustice for All. Um, but but you, you know, you get this really technical uh metal, kind of proto-metal with long songs and stuff like that. And it was classic. So they also importantly pulled in Martin Birch. Now, Martin Birch is this legendary figure. He was a producer of heavy metal albums, and he produced a lot of the best heavy metals albums of all time. He produced uh all the early Deep Purple albums, all the classic Mach 2 era, you know, Fireball, uh, uh, In Rock, Machine Head, all the ones you know. Um, he produced uh, the all the early Iron Maiden. He didn't produce the first Iron Maiden album, but he produced uh, Killers, uh, Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power yeah. Slave, Live, Live After Death. I mean, c- talk about a track record, this guy. I mean, I'm, I and, mean those are some know, of the best albums ever made, not just in yes. heaven, no. And he also produced yeah. Heaven and Hell. He would produce, yeah. Dio would be, so Dio was influential in getting Martin Birch, I think after Rainbow, getting Martin Birch to produce Black Sabbath. And I think that might've influenced some of these other bands to pull him in. Um, but anyways, so around this time, we start to see some problems with Rainbow and a lot of them stem from Richie Blackmore. Oh, um, so Richie Blackmore's Co- Rainbow is what we're talking about here. Just yeah, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, right? Okay. So Richie Blackmore is kind of known to be kind of an asshole. I remember there was a story where Eddie Van Halen wanted to meet him and he just was completely standoffish to him. Um, he should have been complimented that such a great player, uh, you know, someone even better than him really, uh, was was influenced by him. Uh, I mean, I think Richie Blackmore is fantastic. I love a lot of his music, but he was kind of known to be a dick. David Coverdale once said, oh, yeah, Richie Blackmore, he's an interesting bunch of guys because of his mercurial personality. Um, So at any rate, he decides to fire Tony Carey uh, because he doesn't get along with him. And then he very shortly gets rid of Jimmy Bain, which was a real sore spot for Dio because Jimmy Bain and him were really close, um, as you'll see later. And they recorded a second album called Long Live Rock and Roll. Um, now, these albums did really well in Europe and Japan, but they didn't do anything in the United States. And Richie was starting to get frustrated. And he was kind of, um, so Long Live Rock and Roll, you know, as a title track, Gates of Babylon, which is another epic track. Um, again, Dio lyrics in full swing, magic, wizards, you know, witches, the whole bit. Um, castles, dragons, you name it. Um, so... Around this time, and then they recorded a live album on stage, uh, and it didn't do well. So, so that Rainbow wasn't really doing well at this time in the United States. And, you know, and Richie was looking at all these bands like Foreigner and Boston and stuff and thinking, you know, and he, they even had to open for Ario Speedwagon. And I think they got in a fight with one of the band's crew. And it was just like really getting bitter because he was just like, I'm Richie Blackmore. I should be the biggest thing ever. And why aren't I able to make it in the United States? And he saw, he was like trying to, and I think record company people were also in his ear going, you know, you guys aren't doing that well in the United States. Why don't you drop this sword and sorcery shit and make some love songs, you know, like Foreigner or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So they decided to do that. And ironically, one of the things he wanted Dio to do was sing, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow Again? <laughs> uh, which can you imagine? And they, uh, I think there is a rainbow uh, B-side somewhere of that, maybe with Joe Lynn Turner or Graham Bonnet. So they, 
you know, Dio ended up quit quitting or being fired. You know, each side has their own story there. Around this time, he also met Wendy Dio at the Rainbow Club in L.A. She was working as a waitress. She'd been married a couple of other times. She married him uh, and she was really smart. That much smart. is true. That much is true. So she married him and they... Um, you know, they ba- she basically became his man- would become his manager later too, and handle all the business out because he just wanted to be a creative person. He didn't want to really want to deal with the business. Um, but yeah, Dio. The other thing about Dio is we'll see with Black Sabbath, he tends to be kind of a a leader, uh, a natural leader. And I think in Rainbow, he maybe Blackmore didn't like that um, because it was kind of Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, not Ronnie James Dio's Rainbow, right? So there was some contention there. Uh, so he ended up going on a different direction with Graham Bonnet and eventually Joe Lynn Turner, he would get his wish to be foreigner because that's what that Joe Lynn Turner shit sounds like. I like some of that stuff. Okay. But there's no way it compares to the Dio era. That's the best rainbow. Uh, there is period. Those, those uh, couple records. So Dio was broke, you know, and his manager, Bruce Payne had become the manager for rainbow. You know, he had grown. He, and so he basically broke up with Dio at that point. He's like, well, of course I'm going to choose rainbow. You know, you're yeah. just nothing. You're just a singer. So that kind of sucked. But what around this time, too, he met, you know, Tony Iommi and uh, Tony Iommi was, uh, you know, kind of at, at least the rainbow, people. by the way. Yeah, at the think, rainbow. They, all these yeah. guys are hanging out at the rainbow. Yeah. Um, you know, and probably the young Motley Crue guys were sniffing around there trying to get in. You know, all these. That was just like a, yeah. a classic bar of heavy metal. You know, Lemmy probably I think they have a table that, that that's his old table that like has a plaque on it or something. Um, all these guys would hang out there. So he met Tony Iommi and he was actually introduced to him by, uh, their manager, uh, Don Arden's daughter, Sharon Arden at the time, who would later become Sharon Osbourne. So that's ironic because of course, Ozzy had been fired. They, you know, they hadn't made an album in a while and they hadn't had a big album in the United States or actually anywhere since Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. You know, they for for like seven years. So they were kind of down on their luck. Tony Iommi was screwing around with the idea of a solo album again, just like Blackmore. And he wasn't sure what he was going to do, but they kind of were goofing around and they just wrote like really quickly. They wrote one of the classics that would appear on Heaven and Hell, Children of the Sea. They just knocked it out. And, they, and he realized, wow, I really sound good with this guy. So they decided to bring him into Black Sabbath. Well, Don Arden, their manager, was was crazy about this because people loved Ozzy. You know, I mean, he yeah. was like a a great live front man. And, Some loved know, him just, like physically, like his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Like his daughter, right? <laughs> so Don Arden gave up Black Sabbath at this time and they ended up getting managed by Blue Easter Colts manager, Sandy Perlman for a while um, because he just hated the idea of Dio joining the band. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, so that was the original lineup, the original lineup of Black Sabbath, Bill Ward, uh, Geezer Butler, Tony Iommi and Dio. Now Geezer was kind of often you know, dealing with other issues, probably drugs. I don't remember, but, but basically the album was written completely by Tony Iommi and uh, Dio. And this was, this was, you know, they created heaven and hell, which again, I'll probably play a clip from that. It's an absolute classic. One of the best black Sabbath albums, even Ozzy or not, you know, it was a great record and a huge record. It was two times platinum in the U S so fans were definitely accepting of Dio. Um, And it was a huge comeback for the band. Now, Geezer was kind of coming back into his own. And even though him and Dio became friends and would become friend, would be close friends for the rest of their lives, there was a bone of contention here between them because Geezer always wrote the band's lyrics. Ozzy never wrote the lyrics. He would do some of the vocal melodies, but 
Dio was always used to writing his lyrics and melodies. And I think that's why when you hear a song from Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, and you hear a song from Rainbow Rising, and you hear a song from Holy Diver, they all sound like they're by the same band in a way, even though there's subtle differences in the guitar and the the amount of keyboards. It's like Dio just has that power to overtake the song and make it his own. And um, so this caused some contention in the band. They recorded Mob Rules. It didn't do as well as Heaven and Hell, but I think it's just as good. Um, it's really heavy. The title track is amazing. There's uh, another song called Sign of the Southern Cross, which might be my favorite song he did with Black Sabbath completely. Um, and they got a new drummer because Bill Ward was having drug problems. And so they got Vinny Apice. It was Carmine Apice of the Vanilla Fudge and Cactus and all these legendary bands. Rod Stewart, uh, his younger brother, who was a kick-ass drummer. And they got him. And then they recorded a live album. And during the mixing of the live album, there's this controversy between the Dio and Vinnie Apice camp and the uh, the Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi camp where each, each side blames the other for mixing their parts, mixing the other two guys' parts lower. The album didn't do well. <laughs> Sounds it's like, like yeah, Metallica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're infighting, right? Um, yeah. And then the other thing was when Dio signed with Black Sabbath, he negotiated to have a solo uh, deal to create one solo album. And this really made Tony Iommi insecure and mad. Um, but the, the idea originally was for Dio just to do one of these albums, kind of like the grasshopper, you know, butterfly grasshopper album I mentioned, where it was like Dio with different people, right? Kind yeah. of a showcase, like, oh, I'm going to have this guy, I'll have Blackmore, I'll have this guy, I'll have this guy do a song. And that's what it was designed to do. It was never designed to create a full band, which he ended up doing. But Tony Iommi has been out of shape of that. In addition, Dio started, you know, Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler didn't like dealing with fans very much. They were very aloof. They didn't like dealing with the music business side. So Dio Dio and Wendy started dealing with that. So they kind of just didn't like him taking a leadership role. And so they kicked him out. And uh, again, he was kind of at at his not sure what to do. Uh, He hooked up with his own friend, Jimmy Bain, just to ask Jimmy. Jimmy was playing in a band called Warhorse with Brian Robertson of Thin Lizzy. Uh, you know, and they weren't really doing that well, but he kind of asked Jimmy, you know, I'm looking for a guitarist. And Jimmy eventually found him Vivian Campbell, who was playing in a a new wave of British heavy metal band called Sweet Savage. He was really young. He's 20 years old. Um, But Jimmy just jammed with them. He just thought, well, I'm in the band too. So he joined as well. And then they brought along Vinnie Apice. So what's cool is not only did he take lessons from his time in Rainbow and Black Sabbath, he actually took people. Yeah. So he took Jimmy Bain from Rainbow. He took Vinnie Apice from Black Sabbath and put together as band. And remember, Dio is a band. So the band, name of the band is Dio, led by Ronnie James Dio, kind of like Bon Jovi is led by John Bon Jovi, right? Or Van um, Halen's. And, yeah, or Van, the Van Halen's, right? It's yeah. kind of that kind of scene. And, uh, you know, they, they recorded the album in uh, late 82 at Sound City. Um, they were... I, the only drug Dio really did was weed. And so they would smoke tons of weed while recording the album. That's probably how he got a lot say. of his fantasy ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, bong water blues that I'm sure that is written and never recorded. Right. And yeah. as they were recording, you know, it was kind of funny. They, uh, this is a fun little fact. They, there, there's a song called caught in the middle on the album. And it I'm going to play some its, of that. Yeah. yeah, it's a good one. It, it borrows its main riff from a Sweet Savage song that was actually called Straight Through the Heart, yeah. which is another title of another song on the album that's completely unrelated to the original Sweet Savage song. So that was kind of funny. Um, at any rate, uh, the one of the texts when they were recording just blurted out, this is going to go platinum. And he was right with double yeah. platinum. So 
Uh, it, it was relatively critically acclaimed. Now, there was some controversy, of course, because of the cover art, which is great. I'm wearing a T-shirt right now that has that on it. Um, and uh, it's a great cover. It's got their what would become Dio's mascot, who is called Murray. I'm not sure why he was called Murray, but he's a giant demon and he's like kind of whipping this priest into the water. And all of that was to generate controversy. It's very similar to Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil, right? At this time, yeah. you know, be, all any publicity is good publicity. And he kind of wanted to do that. Um, even though we can talk about lyrically what the hell Holy Diver is supposed to be all about. <laughs> um, it's maybe kind of a mystery. Um, after that, so again, this was their... Their, this would be their biggest album ever. This is a classic lineup. The, this lineup would record two more albums. Last in line, which I think is nearly just as good. They would add keyboardist Claude Schnell to the mix. So all the keyboards on the first album were played by Jimmy Bain. So he's a bassist, but he also played the keyboard, you know, the famous on Rainbow in the Dark, yeah, right? That um, Yamaha keyboards. This, this album started to, you know, we saw a little bit of Dio trying to be a little more poppy with Cotton in the Middle on the first album. This album, he went full bore with mystery. That is absolutely a pop song. I do love it, but it's very, uh, it's very poppy. This one went one times platinum. We mentioned the video directed by the great Don Coscarelli. Even on the next album, we get more poppy as meta, you know, just like Motley Crue, just like the Scorpions getting more and more commercial as the eighties went on. Recorded an album called Sacred Heart. This would be the last album with this lineup. Um, and it had the song called Hungry for Heaven, also featured on the Vision Quest soundtrack. It was not a not good, really, not a great album. Uh, and again, Vivian, Vivian would leave. Now, th- there's a bone of contention between the Dio camp and the Vivian Campbell camp as to whether he was fired or whether he quit. But you can find a clip on YouTube of Ronnie talking about how he absolutely hates Vivian Campbell and the yeah. feeling is mutual. Now, Vivian since what's really crazy about this is Vivian badmouths uh, Dio, but later he would play in a band called Last in Line, which is still around. And they're basically a Dio cover band made up of, of Claude Schnell, Jimmy Bain, Vinnie Apice, Vivian Campbell, and another singer replacing Dio named Andrew Freeman. And they've recorded some original material as well, but they're basically a Dio tribute band. And that's what's kind of weird to me. But yeah, you both of these guys hated each other. And Later, Vivian, this like last year, Vivian did express some regret that he wasn't able to patch things up. We don't really know what happened. I think it was about money. Part of the issue was Dio was Ronnie James Dio, but it was also a band. And both Jimmy Bain and Vivian Campbell were kind of bent out of shape that it was called Dio. It was named after him. But it's like, dudes, this is what you signed up for. It should have been called Vivian Campbell's Dio. What about that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Or Richie, what about Richie Blackmore's Dio? That would have been funny. Let's just, let's just name every band Richie Blackmore's this and satisfy his ego. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, and Dio would kind of trudge along. I mean, if you look at his uh, sales on Wikipedia, I mean, after Sacred Heart, I mean, all the albums are like under 100, it's like 50,000 copies. So it kind of makes me wonder why in the 90s, Dio kind of followed that whole trend. Well, we should say he did make one really great album in the 90s called Dehumanizer. Now, it's not as good. This is a Black Sabbath reunion of the Mob Rules lineup. It's not nearly as good as uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Uh, For one thing, it suffers from CD-itis, meaning that it's way too long, you know, trying to fill out the length of what a a 1992 CD would be, 60 minutes. Um, But it's pretty fucking good. You know, it's, it's definitely better than anything Dio did after Last in Line. Um, but then he would kind of follow that up with these two really weird albums, Strange Highways and Angry Machines, 
uh, which are basically Dio grunge, you know, kind of like what Motley Crue did with their self-titled album that we mentioned in that show. But they're okay. They're okay. They're 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 not as as much of a, a bait and switch as the Motley Crue album. They still sound like Dio because Dio can't help but sound like Dio. That's kind of his superpower. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, and as we'll talk about. He, um, you know, they're solid albums, but they're kind of long and they're kind of boring because they're like the slow kind of grunge influence. Now, eventually we'd kind of come back with this album called Magica. And this is something Dio should have done years ago. He made a concept album and originally it was supposed to be a trilogy um, called Magica. And it's like, dude, I, I wanted Dio to make concept albums the whole time. I mean, why didn't he do that? I mean, I made was so conceptual and you know it just a, it was just a natural thing for him to do i wonder why he waited so long to do this but he made and he made a couple of other albums kill the dragon i forget the other one masters of the moon i think it's called there those aren't related to magica he, you know they're kind of whatever they're kind of dio by the numbers um i think magica is a little more interesting of the three um and then he got together back together with uh black sabbath but the, but in order to appease uh, Sharon for the Aussie multiple Aussie reunions that occurred um, that were really lucrative for all the members of Black Sabbath, um, including Reunion in 1998. And then they would make an album later after this called 13. Um, in order to appease her, they had to agree to not use the Black Sabbath name with Ronnie James Dio. So they changed the name of the band to Heaven and Hell. This is when <laughs> I saw them in 2008. Um, I will always think of them as Black Sabbath, but. Um, but anyway, they released an album under that moniker called The Devil. You know, again, it's kind of lengthy. It's okay. You know, it's not nearly as good as the first two, the two black, early Black Sabbath albums with Dio, but it's pretty solid. It's decent. Um, and then, of course, you know, he died um, in 2010 of stomach cancer. Very tragically, we lost him way too young. He was sounding great right up until the end. Um, and his legacy is, you know, I think I think we'll see. We'll see in our evaluations what we think. There is one other thing that's kind of silly is they did debut a hologram of him live in concert, which I think is kind of a travesty. I don't think we should do things like this. I don't think technology should do things like this. I, agree. I think it's a little 100%. silly. I think it's ridiculous. Um, but anyway, let's go into the evaluations. Um, I guess since I'm on a roll with talking a lot as I usually do, I'll just jump into it. Mine isn't going to be too long. I don't really, this is more of, one of these episodes, it's not so much of an evaluation as a celebration because I'm super, I'll just lay my cards on the table. I just think Ronnie is an absolute legend. And I think that this album is, is the pinnacle of his work. Um, again, I go back and forth between rainbow rising heaven and hell and this album is my favorite, but they're all equally 10 out of 10, five star out of five star albums to me. Um, I love absolutely every track on each of these albums. I don't think there's a stinker on any of them. And even Mob Rules could trade places with Heaven and Hell with me. So, uh, again, as I mentioned, Dio's superpower is when he's in a band, ever since Rainbow, when he found himself, when when Richie Blackmore, whatever we can say about Richie Blackmore and his mercurial nature, he was responsible, main, majorly responsible for what Dio would become by working with him and getting him away from that boogie-woogie sound of Elf. Um, I don't think we'd even be talking about who Ronnie James Dio was if he hadn't have made that transition to Rainbow um, and made that and become his fully realized self as a lyric and melody writer. So I want to play something from Rainbow Rising just to show you how fully formed he was even in 76. This is called Run With The Wolf. In the light of the day, you can hear the old woman. 
Yeah, fucking killer, right? Yeah. I mean, his his melodic sense is so amazing. Like his melodies are so memorable on some of these tracks. I think on all of them on these albums. I don't think there's a one a clunker in the bunch. Um, and you can hear his lyrical stuff. Yeah, another word he says, I think more maybe because magic. I was thinking, oh yeah, magic is all over Holy Diver, but it's really only once or twice. You know, it's not it's not as much but evil. He says evil so many fucking times. (laughs) Evil! And he says it better than anybody else. Yeah. Right? He says it the way it's meant to be said. You know? And we'll talk about the lyrics uh, during Jeff's eval. I think we're going to, just like we did with the Scorpions, we've got to dive into these lyrics, right? So that's Rainbow Rising. So now let's hear how he he made Black Sabbath into his own image with Heaven and Hell, the classic, all-time classic Heaven and Hell. Let's play a clip from that. Such a great song. It's a great song. And, and the beginning is almost a cappella. You know, yeah. it's just Dio's voice and melody carrying everything. It's just a bass and drums. And it's just, I could listen to that without any music and just his voice. And it's a complete song to me. Yeah. That's how good he was at melody. Uh, now, as far as Dio's importance to the heavy metal genre, you know, we've talked, we briefly touched upon this, but obviously the whole subject matter of fantasy and evil and the occult and, and everything. I mean, uh, he bears a huge responsibility for this. I mean, obviously Judas Priest was doing some of this in their early days. The Scorpions, not really. You know, uh, Black Sabbath obviously is the main influence on that, right? Early Black Sabbath is the main influence on the subject matter of heavy metal. There's no question about that. And we can't take that away from them. But Dio further cemented that. And then, of course, his melodic sense, you know, is much more sophisticated than Ozzy. Ozzy is almost like, his melodies are much more sing-song. I mean, they're great. You know, I'm not going to say they're not, but they're simpler. Yeah. Dio is much more melodically sophisticated. And obviously he has the chops, the vocal chops, which is it, uh, so much a requirement of so much of the heavy metal, especially the darker, heavier, more powerful stuff that we admire. You know, singers like, uh, you know, everyone from Bruce Dickinson to Jeff Tate, you know, even though I don't like Queens Rock, but I I can't, tell you tell you that jeff tate isn't amazing you know it's like these guys their vocal ranges and stuff are insane and dio is right up there he's one of the first maybe you haven't heard operation Mindcrime, and that would change your mind (laughs) yeah that dude tom shokes dude i've tried so many times with operation Mindcrime. i really i love the first ep of queen's right i think it kicks ass i wish they would have just sounded like that but when they got more kind of like i don't know more trying to be like a pink floyd metal hybrid or whatever they're yeah, trying to I'm do. I'm not a fan I just, either. Yeah, I, they're yeah. one of those bands I like Dream Theater. I put on the back burner because I think someday maybe I'll get it because everyone tells me I should like it, but I just don't. I think you're in the same boat with them too, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I just, to me, it's like, yeah, I admire their talent, but it's just not for me. Um, at any rate, I just wanted to play those things just to show you how much in place this stuff already was. The other thing I think Dio does is he's theatrical even on record. So obviously I mentioned he had the theatrical stage show, but he play acts these lyrics. Like he's dramatizing them. You know, it's like you you get a sense he believes every word he's saying. 
And again, we're going to go into the lyrics. I personally, I love this lyrical subject matter. I wish all music, I think all music should be about fucking Conan and wizards and fantasy. <laughs> I, I fucking hate Mark. it with bands yeah. trying to be, fuck this political shit. I used to love that, you know, with, you know, I, I love Jello and, you know, we talked about the dead Kennedys, but man, I'm part of me is just like, I just want to be taken to a fantasy world. And Dio is my diminutive guide, you know. You want to be transported um, to another place in time. I do. I do. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, as we talk about, yeah, and, and I put this note here, I think he makes other singers sound lazy. I think he makes other singers sound, a lot of other singers sound like they're not trying. Now, I don't, like, Bruce Dickinson's the same, right? He he puts so much effort into, into dramatizing and adding drama and melodrama to his songs that I feel like some singers just sound fucking like they're not even trying compared to Dio and Bruce Dickinson. You mean like uh, Vince Neil? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Vince Neil might be trying, but he's also failing. Right. Dio succeeding. So anyway, so again, the, the drama of Vince Neil's is he going to drop dead of a heart attack, like in the middle of screeching out one of those lines. But anyway, yes, yes, exactly. And Dio enunciates every word. You understand. Obviously, it's a slower pace on a lot of the songs. Unless some of the songs are faster and you know, all we'll talk about those. Uh, you know, we'll talk about one of those, which is one of the best ever uh, in a minute. So again, as we transition into Dio from those early songs, Dio is a band. And I think one of the things I wanted to emphasize with these clips I'm going to play is how good they are. You know, I think, uh, you know, I love Jimmy Bain's keyboard playing. His bass playing is just rock solid. Uh, you know, um, Viv is an amazing guitar player. I think he really shines on this album. I think he's one of the highlights. I think he definitely inspired a lot of hero worship from uh, budding guitar players on this record. I love every riff he plays on here. His solos are, are incredible. And of course, Vinny is a killer drummer. He's really powerful. He's really heavy. And he's got, he, he got has kind of an interplay with Ronnie that we'll talk about a little bit. Now, Holy Diver as an album is really kind of a solid, consistent record. I like everything on it. There are definitely some tracks that are kind of more than others, right? There are ones that really stand out, but I don't dislike anything on this album. I think every song is memorable. Every song is catchy. Um, and it's kind of this mid-paced metal for the most part, other than the opening track. I think most of the songs are kind of slower, heavier, um, and it gives kind of a space for Dio to kind of weave in the melody, which I really like. They're kind of, it's kind of an open sound. Um, so track by, I just want to talk about each track. We're going to play, I'm going to play some of them. Jeff is going to play some of them. So I'm just going to refer to some of the ones he wants to going to play. And I might chime in later when he plays those. Um, you know, the album opens with stand up and shout. This is one of the best songs of the album. Dio has a tendency to do, uh, in his solo career or his band career, Dio career, almost every album opens with a fast song. Right. It's, uh, you know, we rock on on last in line is also a great one. And they're usually on those later albums they are usually the, the best song on the record. Yeah. Um, and this one could be the best song. It's one of them. It really rocks. It's uh, his vocal prowess on this is just unparalleled. And then the album follows up with the title track, which is another. Oh, God, this has got to be top five for me. One of the greatest songs ever. Let's play a clip from the great uh, Magnificent Holy Diver.
between the velvet lies, dude. <laughs> dude, what a, I just love, again, when I talk about him dramatizing this song, I love the little look out. And I yeah. love, you know, the, you see the light. You know, he like, he like fucking emphasizes shit. You know, yeah, he's like an opera Dio. actor, you know. Yeah, he's like yeah. An, op- an opera actor. He's like, yeah. he's dramatizing it in the best way possible. It's just adding so much. I mean, you know, the song is so simple. As I mentioned, I could play the riff on guitar. It's very simple. March, without Dio's vocals, it just wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. It, and what it is, is this is pretty much the song that I think earns Dio his spot in Metal Valhalla forever. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the all-time classic, iconic metal songs. Um, and it's funny because at the time people were kind of saying, Hey, this sounds a lot like I have the tiger. So you could easily do a mashup similar to what you did on the YouTube episode between I have the tiger and this, I think they would line right up, yeah. but they were written around. I mean, Dio said he wrote this in the Sabbath days, you know, he started messing with this and they don't really sound that alike, but I thought that was funny. It's, it's mainly the tempo and, and stuff. Well, he talks so, about tigers um, too. That's you know? right. Tigers. He loves to talk about cats and tigers and stuff yeah. a lot as well. Yeah. But I just love this song. Um, I love the interplay. I love the little drum fills that that Vinny does to emphasize. It's almost like they're really interacting. You know, imagine all these guys smoking weed, really getting in the mood and just really interacting together in the studio. It just brings joy to my heart to think about that. Playing um, D&D, you know, in between takes. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, speaking of which, as great as the song is, the video is insane. Yeah. I mean, this is this video is one of the all-time great videos. I mean, it's basically Dio as like a mini Conan fighting these various <laughs> and there's even like a fucking blacksmith in the video. I mean, come on, what's more metal than that? I yeah, mean, it's really. fucking awesome. You know, Dio with the sword, and you know, there, there's even a scene where it's just his head against these flames going up. I mean, it's fucking badass. Okay, so the next song we have is Gypsy. Um you know, I couldn't figure this one out either. You know, it's like he talks about, I mean, we'll talk, I just want to brush, you know, I'll talk about the lyrics more later, but you know, it's his writing on the gypsy, the gypsy queen. I'm almost like, is that like a train or is he actually talking about like fucking this woman writing on know. her? I don't know. Maybe it's a tiger again. I have Maybe no fucking t- idea. <laughs> Maybe it's anyway, a dragon that he's having kind of a special relationship with. Yeah, if anybody could fuck a dragon, it's Ronnie James Dio. So yeah. I think we could say that with uh, with assurance. Yeah, it's catchy. It's a catchy deep cut. It's, it's not, probably you know, a boat, uh, mostly a boat. Yeah, like a riverboat queen. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, that's almost like elf subject matter. Then you know, like yeah. Proud Mary. It's like an elf song. Anyway, it's a good song. You know, it's a really good one. And then followed by Caught in the Middle. Now this this was the one that was based on the Sweet Savage riff, but it's really poppy. This is like almost like a, a precursor to mystery, which would be on the next album, which is totally a lot of people say is too poppy. I don't think it's too poppy. I think it's an incredible catchy melody. Um, great, great bridge on this song. Just really well written. Um, uh, yeah, Hungry for Heaven is another one that's kind of in the same vein. Okay, Doc, don't talk to strangers. I think Jeff is going to talk more about this one. I fucking love this. This is an, I love the slow kind of almost creepy ballads. There's a lot of this. Uh, this song reminds me of stuff that he did with Sabbath, like uh, Children of the Sea, where it starts out with the kind of this haunting guitar and then kind of builds. It's really good. All right. Next one I want to play is the, is the song straight from the heart. Cause I think this just shows what Vivian Campbell can through, do, especially with the, the whole band yeah. straight through the heart.
Yeah, I fucking love that. I love the little kind of it's almost like a winning crazed horse, like these little guitar licks that Vivian plays. It was like, Wah! you know, just like squealing. And just yeah. the band is so tight and it's like the drums are so heavy. And of course, Dio, again, he just sings the fucking shit out of this. Um, you know, it's it's another track that, you know, some of the album tracks on here, I don't think get the detention they deserve. I think the whole thing is really consistent and solid. I mean, I think it's a 10 out of 10, like I said. Um, and then we get to Invisible. Um, you know, I mentioned Jeff mentioned, you know, he played that clip at the beginning about how this was about, you know, three different characters. And one of them was a gay, uh, a gay teenager because it was. He, you know, he has these lyrics. I mean, it's it's oddly progressive and oddly not progressive at the same time, because he says in the uh, he says he was just 18 and between a lady and a man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what is he trans? You know, is he transgender? Is Dio like way maybe he's a threesome and he's describing the physical sort of, you know, lineup. Yeah, maybe he's like bisexual. I don't know. Oh. But it's frankly bizarre. But. And then there's this weird song in the palace of the virgin lies the chalice of the soul, <laughs> you know, fucking Dio. I just love it. Can't I, get enough. Um, I, I know. But yeah. I'll get into that kind of stuff more in a minute. It's a great song too. Great chorus. Uh, again, Vivian really shines, you know, cool solo, cool bridge. Okay. Now we've come to the elephant in the room. The next second to last track of the album. This is the signature Dio song, everybody. This is the anthem, Rainbow in the Dark. Let's play a little bit of this and I'll talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I had to play play a long bit from that because it's just so fucking good. And you kind of have to hear the transition of the chorus. I love the key, uh, Bane's keyboard he kind of came up with on the fly. It's really great. Um, the drum beat's kind of a weird inverted beat that, uh, you know, Vinny came up with that Ronnie kind of cites as one of the things that makes the song work. Um, uh, the riff was written by Vivian. So it was a, all these songs are written by the whole band. Yeah. And, um, you know, but of Dio's, them, yeah. of course, yeah, a lot of them, most of them, I think. Uh, and and it's, it's um, you know, a really good band effort. And I love Dio's vocals, of course. You know, he's just, again, dramatizing every line, you know, just really giving it his all. Now, I got to talk about the video for this because no one really talks about this fucking video. Everyone talks about Holy Diver and how great it is. This is kind of as bad as Holy Diver is great. <laughs> um, so this this features this weird, comical, almost Mr. Bean-like character. I'm sure this guy was some British comedian. I couldn't really find out much about it. Who's kind of walking around London and just kind of peering into windows. And then Dio is on a rooftop and he's got this crazy outfit on. He's got this like kind of hoodie with the sleeves cut off or it's like a leather vest of some kind. And it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's open chested. And then he's got these woman's boots on. 
They're like these like high heel boots that look like they were made for a woman. Probably you couldn't <laughs> find his size, you know. And he's on a rooftop <laughs> and he's got these heavy Pat metal manacles. Yeah, yeah, maybe he borrowed them from Pat, you know. And yeah. he's kind of singing, and then and then Vivian Campbell comes around sometimes, and Jimmy Bain appears, and they're kind of playing on the street. And there's this weird kind of almost Pat Benatar like new wave woman who's kind of like hugging him and shit as he plays. And then this Mr. Bean character wanders around. It's just fucking the dumbest fucking video. I don't know how they came up with this shit, but it was early MTV days. So they didn't really know what they were doing. The album closes with shame on the night. It's an, it's a, uh, you know, one of the longer cuts really heavy. I love the opening wolf howl at the beginning and it's just fucking heavier than shit. I would say overall, my evaluation is, you know, I kind of wrote this down a little funny thing about this because I don't think we have any business trying to evaluate this master. I think, um, who are we mere mortals to question a metal god like Dio? You know, he's he's um, you know, what's what's our meager opinion to to I don't Dio? Know. Well, you need and, to jump on a tiger and 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 take it up with him. I do. I don't know, dude. I'm a little worried about that. I'm worried about being de- haunted by his ghost. You know, if we try to judge him in such a way, I mean, you know, we're, we've got this whole thing about financial instruments when really uh, Dio is more of an instrument of the mightiest of the metal gods. He's not just a, a, an, a some kind of asset. Right. Um, so I, you know, we're not worthy. And uh, so, yes, I'm going to just finish by saying I'm as long as Murray's a thorny demon cock. <laughs> You know, on Dio, I I, uh, I absolutely think Dio is is Maybe a legend. Dio was the gypsy queen, and Murray was writing Dio. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But anyway, I'm just going to finish there. Uh, I love Dio. Will always love him, and I'm really disappointed that he died so young. I think he had a lot more to offer. I think, especially you know, with people like Jack Black kind of realizing his legacy and 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 people kind of seeing what he could do, I almost wonder if we would have gotten a really grandiose concept album from him, like Dio does the entire Old Testament or something awesome like that. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be the greatest thing ever, by the way. I know, dude. Dude, <laughs> totally Dio Christ superstar. Why didn't we get it? I don't know. Oh, anyway, oh, that's. Oh, I'll leave it at that and hand it off to you. All right. So, um, look, you already talked about the music and his voice and all that. I couldn't agree more. I'm going to play a couple clips and I'm going to talk about the music. And I'm also going to talk about the lyrics, which maybe I'm not as big a fan. (laughs) We'll see. So here's the first clip on the album. You mentioned Stand Up and Shout. I think it's great. And it's probably my favorite Dio solo, you know, uh, Richie Blackmore's Dio. is that <laughs> dude i know that might be my favorite too i also you know in the sabbath ones he has neon nights and turn up the night yeah. which are also really fat i love i almost wish there was more 
of those fast-paced Dio songs. Because well, you can yeah, just listen to "I Speed at Night," which is a ripoff of this song, in my opinion, to some degree. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, which is a great song because it's basically "Stand Up and Shout," and this is yeah. such a great song. Um, look, the the lyrics, dude. <laughs> You are the strongest chain and not just some reflection, so never hide again. You know, just kind of, as you were saying earlier, the man keeping you down, you need to break out from your you that's know, right, that's shadow, right. all that kind of stuff. True, true. I, I just love this song. I never get sick of it. I've listened to it about a thousand times this week. My wife's going to kill me from listening to yeah, it Yeah, it kicks much. ass. It just uh, kicks ass. The other, another song I wanted to play is maybe not as well known as the ones you were playing or, or even stand up and shout. You mentioned it earlier. It's caught in the middle. It's that sweet savage a riff. Um, I love this too. And here's a little bit of that. You feel it. You feel it. You feel the rush of it all. Yeah. Oh. Lightning rain the clouds. You know. Fly away in the clouds. Yeah. I mean that that little that guitar sort of shuffle little riff there is 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 awesome. And his singing on it is outstanding, as it always yeah, is. Yeah, and it's great, the great melody. It's super yeah, catchy. Like I think is. this could have been a radio hit too, for sure. All right. So the last clip I'm gonna play here is one where um you you mentioned how good you think it is, uh, the song and the lyrics. I wanna play it. It's called Don't Talk to Strangers. So, yeah, <laughs> the, the whispering of don't talk to strangers could be the most spinal tap thing that has ever happened in a non-spinal tap band. You got to admit that. Yeah, that is funny. That that <laughs> definitely had to be some weed influence for him to do. And the, yeah. the, 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 I mean, I, I simultaneously think I want to goof on this song and I also just love this song, too. So, I mean, there's something really compelling about it. But dude, the lyrics. Don't smell the flowers. They're an evil drug that'll make you lose your mind. Don't dream of women because they only bring you down. I'm not going to try to sing him. Don't dance in darkness. You may stumble and you're sure to fall. Don't write in starlight because the words may come out real. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how much much weed could you smoke to think these are good lyrics? 
I don't know, man. Maybe I smoke some. I love him. I also love his high singing at the beginning. Yeah. It kind of shows his range. You know, it's really, really cool. I mean, these are really silly lyrics, but I also don't love the write song. In, my favorite is don't write in Starlight because the words words may come out real. Because what is that? Even, what, what is I have no idea. Write in Starlight. I don't know. That's but, only only something Dio could answer. I mean, but, I think he's he's opening up a mystical world to us that we have to strive to understand, I guess. Well, I mean, in Rainbow in the Dark, I want to cover some lyrics on that. You know, uh, where there's lightning, you know, it always brings me down. Okay, maybe lightning is making you depressed because it's free and I see that it's me who's lost and never found. Uh, okay. I, I cry for magic. I feel it dancing in the light. The lightning light? I'm not sure. It was cold. I lost my hold to the shadows of the night. Is that like getting is Dude, it about light, depression? I think light is another thing that Dio says 50 million times. Yeah. You could probably count 50 million lights. I, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's doesn't make any sense. And the whole idea of a rainbow in the dark makes no sense either. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's like Dio is like one of these guys who's just like, okay, it needs to sound cool. That's well, that, you know, I don't think he's straight. I mean, some of the songs have, you know, he says he has concepts and stuff, but I think he's trying to create a, a mood. And well, it's like, it, you know, similar to like, yes, John Anderson, his lyrics don't make any sense. Yeah, well, that's just, true. I'm just that- there to... They're just there to create like to be a evocative weird, of something. Yeah, like a musical instrument. I almost feel like Dio is guilty of that too, because it's like you can't really, you know. I mean, they're they're very repetitive. They're very much like of that time, but it's too it's evocative. But it's like, yeah, when there's lightning, you know, it always brings me down. Why would lightning bring you down? Lightning's I don't know. exciting. Yeah, you know, it's not. It's like if there's clouds, they might bring you down. But it's weird to say lightning brings you down. It's strange, right? Well, the other thing I was thinking about Rainbow in the Dark that is the last, you know, part of the lyrics I was going to mention is the you um, no sign of the morning coming. You've been left on your own like a rainbow in the dark. So maybe I was wondering if this is back to his, uh, you know, gay uh, teen. Maybe this is <laughs> maybe, maybe this Dude. is, you know, somebody who's afraid, a young a gay teenager who's afraid to come out of the closet and they're a rainbow in the dark. That's that's what I was when maybe Ronnie was trying to tell us something because he was saying that the lyrics were about a, a young, uh, an abused girl. OK, him right. and a young gay. Uh, that was invisible, man. right? Invisible that was invisible. That. Maybe it wasn't so invisible, Ronnie, and you were try- struggling with something here. So maybe that's really interesting. But I, I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's really strange. Uh, I was going to joke, too, that maybe we should call the song Richie Blackmore's Rainbow in the Dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's talking yeah, about yeah. Richie Blackmore trying to tell us maybe Richie was struggling yeah. with identity uh, crisis. The The other thing that, um, you know, there's a lot of these things about the man keeping you down and other things like that. I did want to talk about a lyric on Stand Up and Shout, too, that sort of made me laugh that you've got wings of steel, but they never really move you. You only seem to crawl. Well, you know, wings of steel, if you're an airplane work, but you have <laughs> yeah. a jet engine that's giving you lift. If you're trying to flap wings of steel, you're going to crawl. Yeah, you're not going to fly. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's so true. I I mean, I, I do think it's sort of like you almost see this like steampunk in his mind, mythical, like, uh, you know, pterodactyl flying with steel wings and like, I again, you know, this is pretty bong water soaked, uh, yeah. you know, lyrics, and I I laugh at them, 
I know somebody, uh, one of our fans and, and dear friends is screaming right now at his uh, you know, phone listening to this and Mike saying that we don't get the true uh, meaning of all these right, things. Right, so we'll right. have to, Mike, you'll have to explain this to us uh, later, at least uh, to me, which I, I, I'm sure you will. Anyway, y- you get the idea. I, I do want to talk about a few more uh, quick lyrics uh, things. Holy Diver, you mentioned not sure what that's that, not sure what that's about. I read something where Dio said the lyrics are about a Christ figure on another planet who sacrifices himself to redeem his people. And wow. when people learn that he intends to leave them to save other people on other planets, they ask him to stay. Um, that seems like uh, Dio was smoking even more weed to come up with the explanation <laughs> of yeah. that song. But here are some of the lyrics that are like. Ride the tiger, you can see his stripes, but you know he's clean. Do you see what I mean? No, no. I do not yeah, see what yeah, you mean. No. Got shiny diamonds like the eyes of a cat in the black and blue. Something is coming for you. Look out. Look out. You're the star of the masquerade. No need to look so afraid. Jump, jump, jump on the tiger. You can feel his heart, but you know he's mean. Some light can never be seen. Wow. Wow, I've never been this high, and I've been pretty stoned yeah. before. <laughs> like, yeah, this, yeah. This is that. I mean, I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what he means either. I've never understood like the whole idea of holy diver. When I was a kid, and I saw that, I'm like, this is like the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my fucking life, you know. Um, but you know, I've since come to love it anyway, and it's it it doesn't really make sense. I kind of like that story behind the song. It makes me want to go back and revisit it and see if I can, I mean, obviously we're looking at some of the lyrics here and it's not really adding up. Right. No. But, um, but I, I kind of like that background story. I always wondered what the hell that song was about. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, I, and the video, of course, we don't have any space angels or whatever, but we do have Dio in armor with a sword. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of all I really need. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm good. You can see his stripes and you, and you know, he's clean. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then Gypsy, you, you you talked a little bit about this. I just want to read a few lyrics from that. I, I mean, I could read lyrics from the, every song on the album. They're all the same, basically, but yeah. you know, the same idea. But on Gypsy, she was straight from hell, but you could never tell because you were blinded by her light. She could crack your brain with magic pain and turn <laughs> a paler shade of white. So it can't be a ship or or yeah. a train or any. It's got to be a woman, right? Because it's about a woman, I guess. But you're riding the gypsy, so I guess you're fucking the gypsy. Maybe Geezer you know? Butler was helping them out with some of the lyric sophistication on this one. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, well, I, I no, know. because no, because Dio. The one thing Dio contributed to Black Sabbath is he decided not to rhyme masses with masses. He yeah, actually well, does true. rhyme different words. So you know, if if she cracked your brain with the magic brain, then we would be in Geezer territory. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I love Geezer Butler too. I love his lyrics, but yeah, there's there is masses with masses. We got to talk about that. Um, <laughs> Anyway. Anyway. All right. So evaluation, uh, whatever one thinks of Dio or the heavy metal genre in general, whether you love it, think it's a goof, you know, for all the things you're talking about or both simultaneously, which I certainly think both simultaneously. There's no question that he's really one of the most important and prominent in the uh, in the cast of characters of the, as you said, metal Valhalla Um, from his time in Rainbow and Sabbath to solo stuff. He represents the genre in a singular way, really. And he invented the devil horns. I don't believe Gene Simmons, of course, either. 
simply put, I think Holy Diver is a classic album of the genre. I think there are other albums in heavy metal that I would rate higher, but that list isn't long. It's really those Iron Maiden albums and maybe the early Metallica ones and, and things yeah, like I that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They're all up there. You know, this is definitely one of the top, top ones. And whether it's your favorite or not, it's just a matter of, yeah. you know, what you like. You know, it's definitely one of mine. But again, like, I, like you mentioned, Iron Maiden would be up there and Metallica for sure for me as well. Yeah. And, and the thing about, like, I'll mention Iron Maiden again. Those Iron Maiden albums that I think that I put above it, I might, they might be in my like top five, top 10 albums of all time. So it, it's high praise, right? That this is, this, this is up there. Like I, I, there's no bigger Iron Maiden fan than I, especially those early first five albums. I would, I would say, um, I just think they're mammothly important to me. Um, anyway, uh, one of the common aspects of uh, historical review, you know, that we do on CFX and people do over time is, things are compressed, right? When you look at the 60s, you're not going to talk about every subgenre or every band or the 70s the same way. You compress it. You say, well, this, the, in the 60s, you have the Beatles, you have the Stones, you have the Who, you, you, you know, yet in the 70s, you have the Zeppelin and Floyd and, and other important bands, you know, but it gets squished down and, and the lesser bands sort of fall out. Um, and I think when we look at this 80, early 80s uh, genre uh, time of metal, um, certainly Maiden and those early, um, and Judas Priest, of course, and some of those early Metallica albums. And this will stand out. This will be one of those things that you talk about and people will continue to talk about. And um, I think that when people talk about metal, they're going to say Dio, as you mentioned, in the whole history of the 70s, Sabbath area and Rainbow and into the early 80s will definitely be one of those figures. Ozzy will be as well, of course. And there are others. But uh, I'm as long on uh, this album and Holy Diver as Dio is short on height, I would say. So, <laughs> All right, cool. So very long. Uh, I love long, it yeah. too. Yeah, very, very long. And uh, I love it, even though the lyrics, I think, are a goof. I will sit there and goof on the Don't Talk to Strangers as I did. Um, and I love it simultaneously because it's, the music is so good. And the, you know, all the mystical lyrics and things like that, I'm not a big a fan of. I think they're funny. It's just not my thing as much, but there are others out there. Mike K, we're directing this to you, that yeah. it's the most important kind of uh, genre and lyrics that there's nothing else more important. Um, and uh, there you go. So long. Let's wrap up here. Uh, this was, uh, you know, obviously Holy Diver by Dio. Thanks so much uh, for listening. Uh, we'll sign off now. We'll see you next time. I'm Jeff. That's Slip. Slip. Yep. And uh, let's sign off with a little surprise here and then uh, see you next time.